Hi there, this is Gary Turner, Value Through Vulnerability podcast host. Today, I had the pleasure of welcoming James Reese, who's an executive coach, onto the podcast. A few of the key reflections for me uh, as an introduction was James's metaphor around the fact that we've moved from a barge era with regard to the world of work many years ago towards a sailing boat, which has been sort of representative of, in my interpretation, the last sort of 20 or 30 years where winds were knocking us off course, but we could tack back onto course. However, now we're in a, a scenario of white water rafting and, and very much the, what happened, what got us to where we are today is not going to get us to where we need to be in the future. So the, you know, what's happened before is not necessarily relevant for the future. And I think this is such a powerful metaphor, so, so powerful, and one that I think anyone that's listening to this podcast can relate to. And I think it's also helpful as a way of trying to help design intentionally our work and our businesses so that they are future fit as technology continues apace and as we need to augment humans with technology more and more. I liked James's comment as well around the fact that it's really important that we have more challenges within our network, more people that don't look like us. And this really points towards the importance of inclusion, not just today, but certainly for the future of work. So and this is a theme that's coming up more and more as well as people become more, more aware and they, they awaken to the fact that diversity and inclusion is not just a nice box to tick going forward. It's absolutely fundamental to us having the best talent, the best, the best thinking, the best innovation um, as we move forward. And finally, as, as an introduction, I found it really interesting that James shared this reverse mentoring approach that's happening in Six Silicon Valley. So CEO of big tech firms in their late 30s and 40s, hiring 20-year-old mentors so they can do the why, why, why thing that, uh, that you tend to get from young people before uh, the societal norms break that down. So yeah, really interesting, really engaging, and uh, yeah, really, really, really inspiring discussion this for me uh, with James Reese, who's an executive coach. So please dive in. Really grateful as always for any feedback that you may um, wish to offer. Should you enjoy this podcast on iTunes and uh, please do offer James and or myself some feedback. That would be appreciated. Thanks very much. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This morning, I'm very grateful to welcome James Reese onto the podcast. Hi, James. Hi, Gary. Thank you for having me. No problem. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you. Good stuff. So, James, do you want to give a bit of an introduction to our listeners as to you know who are you, what's your background, and what you're passionate about, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. So, um, I spent sort of best part of 16, 17 years in um, banking um, in a front office role, very much part of the commercial um, team, you know, driving, looking at performance. Um, and I became sort of fascinated during that period of sort of identifying how personality had a much greater influence on outcomes than intelligence. So I worked with a very you know, great deal of intelligent people, um, but the ability, you know, the ability to get a greater performance was, was really based about the, you know, the personality side. So I decided to retrain as a, an executive coach, um, and for the past sort of five years, that's what I've been, been doing. Um, I'm very lucky to be, um, I work at London Business School, I work with a company over in the States. Um, I'm very fortunate to be working with some of the you know, fast-growing um, companies of Silicon Valley. Um, 
and and get to see you know the basically you know real proof in the pudding that the more people are you know the more people can focus on their personality and look at their strengths and weaknesses and you feel comfortable around that the more that drives performance much more than their in- intelligence fantastic and so, so, so that sort of pivot for you have you always been interested sort of from, from a young age in the, that more sort of personality side of work and also sort of since you finished your studies or is it something that's been quite new to you um, no, I've always been I've always been interested in it. Um, I, ironically, I think, well, strangely, I think is probably a better word. Um, I come from a farming background, um, and if anyone's ever you know knows what it's like to deal with farmers, they're they're an odd bunch and, and very demanding um, because they are you know you have to you know they, they can see through people very easily. They're very good at reading people, and I think that's kind of for me was probably where I started this because I was being you know, tested by them day in, day out because of you know, the nature of the work that I was doing with them. Um, and I quickly sort of was very curious about performance. I'm also you know, very into sport um, and I've done team sport as well as individual sports. So rugby and um, judo are sort of my two main sports um, or were. Um, so I've sort of got that I think you know, there's something in me that knows how a team works, but equally when you're on a mat and, and someone, you know, and you think you're going to get hurt or you know, you've got to dominate someone, then you've got to look inside yourself to understand you know, where you know, your strengths and weaknesses again. Um, and you have to be very honest about that because there's no way you can get better um, you know, when you're throwing people. If you think you're stronger than the other guy, you're probably, you know, you're probably going to lose um, because you have to be more focused on your technique um, and understanding that. So I think that's where it all, all so it's, it's come from lots of different areas, if you like. It's not just one, but I think, um, yeah, hopefully that sort of gives a bit of flavour to, to your audience as to who I am um, and why I'm interested in this area. Oh, no, brilliant. Well, it, it sounds fascinating working with such pedigree, such as London Business School and in Silicon Valley. I'm really intrigued, actually, James. What is, are there any noticeable sort of differences in your experience from coaching in Europe to the US? Are there any sort of differences in mindset or approaches or, or is it just really coaching as a practice does sort of tr- translate across the, across the pond? I think, I think, it, yeah, good question and, and probably quite a difficult one to answer. I think most people that I come across in the States are slightly more open-minded to this idea of personal development and uh, probably have what, what we would call a, a growth mindset, more of a growth mindset. Um, I don't know why, but I think perhaps you know, the cultural um, background of, of Europe plays a big part of, in, in that, and that doesn't seem to be quite as strong in the US, for, for perhaps for obvious reasons. You know, it's a big country um, and, you know, different states are, are so so wildly different. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's probably, I, I probably spend more time uh, initially with Europeans working on sort of cultural or, or, or sort of yeah, getting them to understand, identify within themselves some of their cultural challenges as opposed to the US. The US are much more forward, forward thinking. Um, so there's just of interest before we sort of get on to my other questions around sort of vulnerability awareness, et cetera. What, what are the sort of main focus areas, if I may ask, 
for, for your practice, James? You know, is there, are there particular areas of work that you tend to work more on, or is it a very, very diverse sort of background based on sort of client need, as it were? It is. It, it, ultimately, it is very diverse because every person is a unique individual. So one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. um, my, my general focus, though, is, tends to start with leadership or leadership development. So people want to know how they become more effective leaders. Um, and there's, you know, the great saying, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Um, it's kind of one that comes up quite often in conversations. Uh, it's about recognizing that they are, you know, they are very intelligent individuals. Um, they have a personality. Um, and, but trying to understand their personality and have a sort of, you know, self-awareness is something that's very, very hard um, for us as, as humans to, to have. So you, you need to have sort of that critical friend who will be sort of, you know, reflect back on you as to where you are and, and, and help you get to where you want to get to. Um, and, um, yeah, that's, that tends to be my, it's, it's making that connection. And then the more people work with me, the more they kind of realise that, that actually there's a lot of, you know, a lot of what they, they've perhaps previously dismissed as being soft uh, and the soft traits that, that perhaps you know, haven't been that relevant to them, all of a sudden become very relevant to them. Uh, and the more they dive into it, the more they realise that there's you know, significant value to be driven and actually for them in their new roles, in more senior roles, understanding humans and how to get the best out of humans and that this, this discretionary effort is focused all on personality rather than intelligence. That's really powerful. You, you're, make, you're reminding me of a, a, a blog I put out a couple of months ago regarding soft skills as a language. Yeah. Language is such a pervasive thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to work out for myself, actually, whether we've, we've got this overhang of the Industrial Revolution and as such, everything has to be very logical. Therefore, the idea of something being soft allows it to be put to the side a little bit easier and have to deal with. I don't know if that resonates with you or whether you challenge that, James, from your... Uh, I, I definitely do, and I think that's pro probably you know one of the challenges you have when you talk about vulnerability is that you know automatically uh, for for so many people it will just it will turn them off and there'll be an instant barrier and you won't even get penetrate through because you know they'll be thinking there's no way I'd be vulnerable in this in this organisation because it's still following a, a sort of an industrial revolution style of management etc but there is a massive shift um i also think generations play a significant part so if you're someone of a, an older generation you know you've come through that style you, you've got learned behaviors um it, it makes that much more challenging and perhaps you, you know and the relevance of it becomes you know in their eyes becomes less and less i think with younger people it, it's not you know it's, that challenge isn't there but actually how they operate together can be challenging because they have different, perhaps not necessarily different values, but how they, it's how they perceive how you look to those values, which, which are, which can be different. Um, and I think this, you know, just throw, when you throw all of that stuff into, into one big, you know, organization of 10,000, 60,000, a hundred thousand people, it can become very challenging. And if you're in the, you know, if you're running that business, uh, I think understanding what those challenges are um, becomes 
you know, quite complex um, to, to, you know, to a greater or lesser extent. Mm. Yeah, we had we had a sort of previous chat, didn't we, around that sort of language piece, and I, I, I've been challenged myself around vulnerability, and I think I've said to you before, <laughs> I quite like the provocative nature of the word, but I do understand that maybe something like courage or being more courageous is another way of saying vulnerability. Does that, do you think that would help that conversation about the same topic at times, or is it still just, just an area that just needs more work, more self-work <laughs> to some extent? I think... It it, I think a lot of it depends on how it's been introduced to the individual uh, and at what stage they are, yeah, what stage they're at. Um, and I think, you know, the danger is that vulnerability can just turn off the people who probably need it most. Um, and therefore, actually being provocative is it might be a nice thing and it might get it might get you and I talking and, and like minded individuals talking about how we like it. But if it's not being received by the people who really need it, perhaps we're failing in our in our you know, in, in what we're trying to do. Um, I tend to think of it slightly differently now and frame it differently with people, which is, you know, organisations continue and will always be about performance. I don't see that changing. Um, uh, certainly not in you know my lifetime or, or you know any any time soon. Um, and I think the danger is that we sort of create this image that everything's got to be soft and fluffy when people's perhaps perception is that it's actually hard and difficult and there's no way you could be a soft and fluffy individual in a hard and difficult organisational setting. Um, so bridging that gap is a really important thing that you and I need to do because actually what we're trying to do is say to people, it's not that you actually get better performance if you've got better you know people who feel better about themselves and it might be uncomfortable you might not recognize it yourself so let's work on you first to help you see where you where it fits in for you uh, and actually that in itself is them demonstrating their own vulnerability because it means that they have to be open and receptive to a new way of thinking um, and it's this sort of intrapersonal you know, um, relationship we have with ourselves. It's the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, what we have to be. And that's what we're trying to really do. We're trying to get that, understand that story and perhaps, yeah, understand whether that's, it's a true story or whether it's one based on past experiences or, or some, or things which aren't valid anymore. So going back to that industrial revolution, you know, yes, of course you have, if you become a manager or a leader in an organization, you probably feel the need that you need to have a more sort of command and control style of, of leadership because that's what you've brought up with and that's what you feel. Um, but some, a lot of that is actually based on what you've told your, what you're telling yourself based on your past experiences. The reason why it's so important that we capture people now is because the 21st century demands leadership, you know, demands much more in the 21st century and, uh, there is so much, uh, there's a lot of work to be done uh, uh, kind of around that. So, you know, technology, globalization, the changing workforce, changing consumers, the speed of change, etc. you know, changes in hierarchical structures in organizations, you know, they are becoming flatter. That demands a much different style of leadership. Um, and probably the first place you've got to start with is yourself about understanding who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, 
and, and in order to be, you know, in order to see where the opportunity lies for yourself and others to drive performance. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. That's it's really powerful actually because I'm now sitting here thinking whether this podcast should be called Value Through Courage. It's going through my mind. I don't know, but no, I'm, I'm half joking. But you know, I think the important thing for me is just around this value piece. I, I get it. I, I totally agree with you. You know, we're not getting away from ROI or in learning development circles, they'll call it return on expectation when things aren't always easy to measure, but there needs to be a measure of some description, I think is, we're not going to get away from that, are we? Anytime soon. <laughs> no, and, and frankly, you know, we don't want to, <laughs> you know, because that's what, that's our pensions ultimately, that's kind of, you know, in a capitalist world, that's what we need. We need to drive profit, so, but let's just do it intelligently, um, and, and do it and have some fun along the way, basically. And, and the more fun people have, ironically, it seems that the more they perform and the, the better results are. But it's not about sticking a, a table tennis table in the corner and, and saying that you're trying to, you know, that you think you're like Google, for example. I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, that you, have to, you have to stop and really think about this stuff in a way that you have yeah, and challenge your thinking in a way that you haven't done before to get it. There's two really powerful things I think in that last statement you made, James, around stopping and challenging. Because I think for me, you know, it takes it takes quite a big I think it takes a lot for us, regardless of the level in an organization, to actually to just stop. To actually say to someone, no, I'm gonna take ten minutes here. I wanna get present. I wanna hear what I'm thinking. I wanna hear what's going on for me right now. That's, that's a, is that a big part of the role, do you think, for you as an executive coach to actually be that person that creates a space to stop and be present? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why is, you know, this world that we're, you know, that we're living in, that I alluded to, I mean, it's like, you know, 10 years ago, probably leadership was a bit like, or organisations were probably a bit, you know, they, they sort of come from the barge era where you could sort of power them up and steam forward with, you know, and, and on a sort of a, a very kind of, you know, linear journey. Um, we've probably gone to a sailing boat um, sort of era where winds were knocking us off course, but we could tack back onto course. And now I think we're, we're definitely in a sort of a white water raft um, scenario where the sheer flow of information and change is so rapid that actually there is no time to even refer back to the past because actually none of nothing that happened five or ten years ago is relevant for what's going on now or going forward. And I think the critical thing here is that this is you know, it's at moments like this where you don't have that time to think, where you're most likely to, to come up with the worst response to the situation. I you know, the stress comes on. Um, and that's where you've got to learn and, and, and be really comfortable with who you are and, and what you're about. So that when that happens, you, you know instantaneously you can leave that sort of to a, almost like an unconscious response to events. Because and and, the, and I guess the best and it's a very simple exp, um, explanation here is that we don't know all the answers anymore, and leaders won't know all the answers and they have to be very comfortable with not knowing all the answers. So for some leaders, it's very uncomfortable to stick your hand up and say, I don't know. 
um, and some cultures don't allow it still you know some organizational cultures don't allow it because they're still living to past you know uh, structures or, or, or ideas but actually that's why you've got to stop and, and, and you've got to do it now because if you do it if you leave it too long you either break or you make such a mistake that you won't get a chance to do it again um, and it's only it's only when the pressure really comes on that these things are really highlighted so, so a lot of people might think well they might be listening to this and go well it's not i don't need it because i'm all right and i would question well that's probably that's probably you do need it then because if that's how you're thinking you're, you're in danger of you know making lots of assumptions um or yeah and at some point that's going to come back and bite you i really really love I've got to say, Jane, thank you for sharing that boat analogy. I love it. I just love this idea of <laughs> going from this barge and now we're now water, white water rafting. That's brilliant. It's such a great visual, really. Such, such a great visual. And I think to some extent, your, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm sensing is part of your offering, part of, you know, part of your practice is actually that, almost that safety, that safety ring. You know, if you fall out the boat, at least James is there with a safety ring to help you stay on that white water raft as you, as you go down the rapids to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a very strong idea of sort of, you know, I, I talk about, you know, I think you, you talk about vulnerability and I think the way I link that back into to, to leadership is that, we, you know, we, we, a lot of us will have a um, sort of a strategic mindset. So some, some of us will know where we get, you know, where we want to get to in, say, five years' time. And we won't be worried about what's going on today. Um, you know, we'll just be focused, you know, eyes up, looking at the future, um, and we'll be able to take people on that journey because we'll, we'll, we'll take, you know, we'll share that story with them. You then got others who are perhaps more organizational focused. So they're sort of eyes down, looking at the process. And they're, those people are critical as well because they're delivering results today, which is really, really important for, for business, obviously, because you don't get to... You don't get to survive five years unless you do this stuff. And then you've got your personality and, and, and the sort of the relationship bit, which is, you know, kind of understanding who you are. Are you eyes up, forward thinking, or more eyes down? And you can be good at both, but, but the science is that you can't be excellent at both. So, so some people will be sat here, well, yeah, well, I, I'm pretty good at that and I'm pretty good at that. Well, that's not good enough. You need to be world-class at one and focus. That's, if that's your strength, that's what you need to focus on. And what you really want to be doing is focusing on your weak, weakness, identifying your weakness, so that you can put people in that role to for, you know, whose strength is your weakness. So you build, and actually that comes on to building diverse teams, people who come with, you know, different, um, you know, from different backgrounds. Um, that means, and that actually, that is a vulnerability because in the past we've got away with going, do you know what, I'm going to work with Gary because I think Gary's quite good at this, you know, this part, he's quite strategic. Um, I'm, let's say I'm more operational, but I'm going to take Gary on because he's a bloke. I quite like him. Yeah, we can talk about sport. Um, he looks a bit like me. He sounds like I, I think I can work with him. But actually, that's you know that's wrong. You know, <laughs> it's not I don't want to work with you, Gary. But if that's who you are, 
that's, that doesn't do you or I or our organisation any good. What I need is someone who thinks so, so differently that they challenge me. And in order to do that, I have to sort of admit to my own vulnerability about my own personality. I have to admit that that's not my strength. And actually, I have to be prepared to think and listen to someone who's completely different. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what building a strong team in this in the 21st century is all about when you're dealing with, you know, in that white water raft environment, because you need to know that you can hand some of this stuff off to someone who is world-class at that and be accepting that they might not be able to talk to you about the football if that's what you're into. Oh my God, I've got like 30 things to unpack here. <clears throat> we don't have to talk 30. Um, but one of them that's brilliant, and thank you for this realisation you've just given me, is so I've been quite a challenger at times, to be honest, for strengths-based, because I've always felt a little bit, and you'll hear this in other conversations I've had before, that to, my, to, to be so myopically focused on a strength and almost not give a monkeys about your weakness, hence that point, not care about it, is a recipe for disaster. But what I'm sensing is what you, your definition of it for me is really powerful, because it links to diversity as well. Actually, not only are you just covering your weakness with other people, but you're really looking for people to almost be a part of your challenger network to help you grow, to help stretch you and increase diversity and inclusion to some extent. And that's, that's not an, an angle on strengths base that I've actually thought about before, James. So I really appreciate that. That's a really good, it's, it's, it's an alternative view, which I've not had before. So thank you for that. Yes, sir. That's really, really got me thinking. It's very cool. So you've raised my awareness there in another way around strengths base. What would James Reese's definition for you be of self-awareness? How would you define it for you? So for me, it is, it's been, com it, it, well, it is hard, and this goes to prove how hard it is because I can't just reel it off, um, you know, which may, you know, you think I do personality testing day in, day out, and, and I work with people on, on their different psychometric testing. Um, so for me, self-awareness is, is, is knowing where you're strongest, where you feel strongest, where you feel your best, identifying that. So, you know, thinking, you know, back to the sort of idea of, you know, give examples of where you where you feel you've been at your best, and, and kind of understanding why. Equally, why you know where you're at your worst or weakest, and, and and why, and then having the confidence in yourself to be able to admit, you know, and understand that sort of dialogue that you have with yourself as to how honest you know being honest with yourself as to saying, okay, that is a weakness. Bit like you, you don't need to focus on the weakness in terms of you know if that if that's an area of weakness, fine. But if I want to do really well within a team, I need to bring someone in with that strength. And and that self awareness would be um, knowing that to the extent where I you know fill fill that role basically. Okay, thank you for sharing that. What's really interesting for me from everything we've discussed so far already is this link back to asking why, being curious. You know, on one of the World Economic Forum's um, skills that they were talking about that every 21st, student, uh, 21st century student needs in 2016 was curiosity and, and social and cultural awareness and problem-solving skills. Are those skills that are being discussed by your senior leaders that you work with out of interest? Are those future-looking skills that your clients are actively seeking within their organisations right now? Or... 
Not enough. Definitely not enough, I would say. Um, and if they are, yeah, it, they may well be. So I don't want to do them a dis, sort of disservice, but my, my sense is that, no, it's not happening enough. Um, you know, I think, I think some people are um, naturally more curious than others. And I think that, you know, it's kind of, again, it's a, it's part of our personality. So if you if you know that you're not that you know curious as an individual, then you need to find people who are curious, and therefore you have to get comfortable with people asking you lots of questions as to why you do what you do. Uh, and I mean, there's some really good sort of stories, you know, especially in Silicon Valley, where you've got the CEO of big tech firms who are perhaps in their sort of you know late 30s, early 40s, who are hiring. 20 year old mentors uh, and the and the purpose of that is because they just want the school kid like like the kids in the car as you're driving you know why why do you do this daddy why why you know and, and actually they find it really helpful because it just challenges them all the time and of course i mean and to some degree coaching is about curiosity because you you are learning about yourself so um but whether or not they're doing it in a broader sort of outside of our sessions uh, my sense is it's not happening quite as much as it perhaps ought to or could do. Mm. Interesting example you give there, reverse mentoring as well. That's a really, yeah. really powerful example because I've heard a lot about it as an interventional idea, but I've not heard such a concrete example of it being so valuable. So that's that's interesting. Is that, quite, is that a regular thing you've heard or is it sort of occasional? No, I mean, it's. I think it's become quite a trend. I mean, some of these... Some of these kids are, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone by calling them kids. It's just showing my age. Yes, you are. Thank you. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, based on how much they're charging for their services, there's obviously you know, there's a real value that's been that's found there. And actually, um, I was talking to you about a book earlier that I that, um, that a colleague of mine at London Business School written, Dan Cable, Professor Dan Cable alive at work and he talks about the the sort of psychology about our seeking systems which is you know to motivate people you have to have um you want their seeking system to be engaged and that yeah that means you know that be, that the reason for that or the value of that is because as humans we are naturally programmed to be quite curious and to explore um and actually when you look at it from from lots of different angles, it kind of makes sense. It's, you know, it, and it's quite logical and, and probably a lot of people can sort of identify what maybe, you know, if there's a reason why they've done certain things in their life, it might not be particularly obvious, but if you go back to, well, if we're just, if we're sort of programmed to go and explore and try new things, maybe that's, that's the reason why we did it in the first place. It perhaps wasn't logical, but maybe I was just driven to do that. And I think so. I think there is a natural curiosity there, uh, and that's what companies have to focus more on, which is you know, how do we engage our seeking systems because that's where innovation comes from, and that's where engagement comes from, and that's where performance comes from. And it all links back to what we're talking about, which is this is all about making humans feel much better about themselves, about the work that they do, about the purpose that they have at work, because. And that's what drives performance. So whether you're a Luddite sort of stuck in the last century on this stuff or whether you're 
you know, right up with current thinking, um, it's the same, you know, the same solution there is you need people to be the best at work. And for some of us, that means being accepting of our own vulnerability and the ability to be vulnerable to say, I don't have all the answers um, and I need others, I rely on others to, to, you know, to, con to contribute to high performance. It's really interesting. <clears throat> it's really interesting to me this around this. I'm seeing this from most of these podcasts we've, we've done so far, James, is the biggest, from, from what I'm seeing, is just this ability to say, I don't need all the answers. This is such a constant theme right the way through. And I, I can't help feeling that is, yeah, I guess we're just, it's almost like, it's like a new behavior that we need to learn. Maybe, and maybe that's where, I'm, I'm sure that's where services like yours come in, is just to say, you could almost be practicing. Let's practice you asking or get you, get you used to what it feels like not to have the answer all the time and being okay with it. Could, could that be part of something that you offer to some extent, that sort of space just to almost practice hearing or you know, practice language, practice hearing things a different way? I'm not sure if that fits in with what you do. It just sort of jumps out as, as something that maybe you could or should be doing if you're not. <laughs> well, I think the, 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 or the example I would give is that's what, co for me as a coach, that's what it's all about, you know, working with people. I don't work with CEOs to give, to give them the answer. I don't have the answer for them. You know, I believe that they have the, the answer within themselves, the best answer for them and their circumstances within themselves. What gets in the way of that is their sort of, you know, how we're conditioned, our assumptions, our personality, which can sometimes block our thinking and, 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 so, and distort it. So what I, my role is to, is to sort of help them and you know, look at it and, and challenge their thinking so that it does open up new ways of thinking. But I sit there day in, day out with some really clever, um, successful individuals, and I never know what the answer is. And I, and nor, and perhaps nor, well, nor will I. Um, so I, I've, I've had to learn over the years to get comfortable with not knowing the answers. Um, that is my job. And actually, what it does is it, it what it has done for me is reinforce uh, obviously the value of coaching first of all but also then this idea that in an organizational setting you know so i've you know it's not like i sit here without any prior experience of the pressure and what it feels like to to have to deliver results but i think back wow if i if i'd been able to apply this myself in those 16 years in banking what what might have been, you know, what might I have achieved? Um, you know, what could I have influenced differently had I been comfortable with not knowing the outcome? Um, and sometimes when I think, oh, I need to demonstrate the, you know, I need to demonstrate that I know, that in itself prevents others from feeding in and then you don't get ideas because perhaps people look at one person to have all the, to have all the answers. So if you can just go around and accept that we come together today and we don't know what the answer is, and I, I don't come with an agenda to tell you what the answer is, but let's have some thinking and, and you know, we, yeah, you can, again, it, it, it unlocks that seeking system because other people want to contribute. Well, you've got, you've got me well and truly sold on Dan Cable today, so thank you for that. That's, <laughs> Sorry. That, that's going into the Amazon. Shout out to Dan Cable. So that, that, that one's going in the Amazon basket. Um, 
it's what's really jumped out to me as well as you as you just explained that uh, James is. So I read a book. I don't know if you know Julie Starr. Yes. Yeah. So so, so Julie wrote a, a wonderful book which I've read, the, the Coaching Manual, which is an introduction. Yeah. What I what I learned and had my own awareness raised in reading that book was I've had a propensity for many years until the last two basically two years two years ago to try and fix people. And I've realized through reading her book, actually, that's totally the opposite of what you're trying to do with coaching. Exactly yeah. what you're describing. You know, you're, you're trying to, it's not even about fixing anybody. It's helping people see the answers. Yeah. The so I just wanted to sort of say thank you to Julie as well as we're sort of praising some, some great writers. because I, I found her book really, really helpful for me. Yeah, she's, yeah, she, she's certainly highly regarded in the coaching, in, in the coaching circles. And, and um, she, yeah, she was, she contributes to, to, um, to the training that I did actually. Um, and um, certainly so, yeah, she's a, she is a star. And actually, if, if I could touch on that, because I remember having, having a look at your sort of background, James, and you mentioned about your, you know, some of your sort of coaching. Is it Barefoot you did your original? That's right, yeah. Yeah, because a, a colleague of mine, Helen Amory, actually rates them really, really highly. So maybe one day I need to try and uh, magic up some money to go and do it myself with them. Do, do you really rate Barefoot? from? from I do, and, and I, I, I sort of, I, I did my... Coming from a banking background, you might expect that I did sort of quite a lot of due diligence um, on this, and, and and I did. So I looked at the sort of you know the more obvious perhaps names, um, some of the business schools, and you know which I thought, oh, that would you know that would be attractive um, to potential clients in the future because they will like you know they will like that link. Um, I looked at Barefoot and thought. I liked what you know, I thought they went into perhaps more depth and, and more breadth um, on, uh, on on coaching, and then I went and asked people, you know, and so I went to industry, you know, people who I thought, you know, who who had who, who had respected corporate careers, who had either retired or part of their sort of you know transition away, they you know typically gone on and either become neds or coaches themselves, and a lot of them rated you know, barefoot a lot. So, um, yeah, and what I liked about them particularly was this idea that, you know, there's not one size that fits all. There's not one method that works. There's not one, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to be aware of all, everything. You've got to be aware that as individuals, some will respond better than others to, to that. And you've got to be prepared. You've got to have your own vulnerability to operate in that space and recognize that, you know, um, yeah, that, that you know, you don't have you don't have the answers first of all, and there's lots of ways you can be working, and it really challenges you to go and seek that knowledge. And, and I think for me, the scariest thing of being a coach is that I know that I've I've signed up to a career where where I will never know everything, um, I will never have answers to anything. Uh, I don't fix people, even though that's what they kind of come. You know, thinking that is going to happen, and yet we sit there and claim that we return great ROI um, because we're driving performance, and, and yet somehow it works. Um, and it's the simple thing, which is once people feel better about themselves and recognise who they are, what they are, and have, you know, maybe sort of focused on, on perhaps realign their thinking or unpackage their thoughts from from past events or past experiences, and and being challenged on that, it opens up. Yeah, it just goes to show the brain is a big, powerful thing. And frankly, no one, you know, we just haven't as humans 
really got into the crux. We don't, you know, we know a tiny bit about sort of psychology and, and how the brain works, really. And there's just so much more. Um, but I think the biggest learning is once you start with someone, seeing the transformation it makes to them uh, and the feedback that they give in terms of it's changed my life. Uh, you know, I've achieved these goals which were really important to me or I've identified these goals and then gone on to achieve them. That is power pack. Yeah, that's really powerful stuff. Um, and within the organisational setting, that sort of powerful stuff can lead to, you know, big returns. Fantastic. <coughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, it, 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 what really jumps out to me as well here is you spoke about who, <coughs> what they are, which is really interesting because I've been on quite a journey this year, actually, the last few months, in fact, around understanding how the mind works. Yeah, you've got the brains, the psychology part, but actually the more, to some extent, spiritual part, actually, you know, why are we even here? You know, what are we, as well as who we are so psychologically? And I'm not sure how much that comes up with you. It might be a completely different podcast or a private chat, James, but <coughs> I've definitely found that by allowing myself to drop my thinking and allow in source, whatever you want to call that, to give you more insight, more realization. That's been a huge change for me the last three months in terms of what I'm now seeing compared to what I saw three months ago. Yeah, I mean, on that, I'd, I'd say, if that's what works for you, yeah. <laughs> then, it's, that, then it's the most valuable thing. That, or, you know, it's, it's important for others. You know, they'll be listening to this and go, well, that's, yeah, I don't think that would work for me. And maybe it wouldn't, but maybe when you challenge that thinking, and you create space for them to think about it, it does. So I think there's no right or wrong answer there. It just goes to show, I think it just illustrates what I, what I was saying earlier, which frankly, we just don't know so much of this stuff, but we're, as humans, we like to interact with one another. And I think partly that's what coaching is, why it's so powerful. Um, it's just that human interaction and the ability that one person wants to listen and you know is genuinely there for you to help you do what you need or what you want or help you think in a way that perhaps you ha you can't just do yourself because of you know, our our inability to have self awareness. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, I've had you for a long time already, but I'm going to keep you a bit longer, James, if I may. So, who or what is inspiring you the most right now? If you could pick one thing that's inspiring you the most, who are <coughs> for you currently? Um, this is going to sound really cheesy, so I apologise for it in advance to anyone. Um, my children inspire me every single day, um, and, and, I and I hope that never changes, if I'm honest. Um, so, and in so many different ways. So, part of the reason for, you know, when I kind of, you know, when I was in my previous career, I looked around for role models and people that I would, could aspire to on my sort of trading floor, and they just didn't exist. Um, there, there was no one that I sort of, you know, they, they, these were people who would turn up at seven o'clock in the morning, leave the office at, you know, eight o'clock at night, um, think nothing of working over the weekend. They, they just never saw their family. And so, well, yeah, they're good people. Um, don't get me wrong, you know, there's a lot of good people there. But I thought, I don't want to be like that. I'm choosing to have a family, and therefore I want to be with them. And 
I think that's what's going to give me happiness. That's what's going to make me happy in, in life or part of my life. Um, and also, clearly, I enjoy working with people and helping people and you know, working to sort of faceless shareholders all the time wasn't always you know great there were times we just thought you know what there's, there's not much meaning or purpose to this but i really really enjoyed the commercial side of it i really enjoyed making money and i really enjoyed the cut and thrust of it I, you know i really do so it's it it's a really bizarre thing that's why i think people like working with me now because actually i still really enjoy that but i like helping them to achieve that if that's what they want but equally i'm very comfortable with working with people who are more about you know the family side of things because that's what it was for me so so yeah my kids uh, and and i've not regretted i've spent you know six years now getting to know my children better than i ever probably could if i was still in the old environment i mean a huge amount to me uh, i was coaching someone the other evening um and i came home late my daughters were in bed they wanted me to go in and give them a hug because they're still asleep and when I explained my daughter my eldest daughter said oh where were you daddy and I said I was coaching someone and I explained who it was and because she um yeah because there's an association with who that person is and, and someone of success her face was just like wow is that who you coach I mean she, she's six so she has no idea what coaching is I, I mean I try a lot of coaching on her so as a parent I, I find coaching skills really help and I thought wow you know if that was my old world would saying that I've just delivered x profit or x return have been quite so amazing for her so you know and I hope that that sort of continues um, so apologies that it's kind of so soft and sweet, but that kind of that's that's a reflection of who I am and what's important to me. So, but I, you know, but I love working. You know, people like you know, people at business school, in particular, you know, thought leaders in psychology, um, organization, organizational behavior, uh, performance leadership, etc. I mean, they all collectively and individually inspire me as well because I just you know what they do and and kind of their thinking about this stuff is really really interesting. James, I'm never going to call it cheesy, but, uh, and I just think it's just wonderful, again, as a man, that you can just be so emotionally sort of charged about your kids. Brilliant. And I'm sure every father is, but for you to say it so publicly on this podcast, you're just a great example of vulnerability. So what a lovely way to get towards the end. Thank you very much. Thank you. One final question uh, before we go, if that's okay. And yeah. Around, with your banking background, and obviously you've spoken quite a bit around purpose and obviously meaning in work as, as being important, and I share that with you. I found it really fascinating that Larry Fink from BlackRock, I think it was 12 or 18 months ago, put out a big announcement stating we are going to actively be investing in more sustainable purpose-led organizations. Mm-hmm. That to me seems to be signaling a message that hope this stuff is going to become more mainstream longer term and it's going to become something that people do need actually to focus on is that is that a view you would share yes i think it is i think there's lots of reasons for that so i I have a personal view and um which may seem a bit zeitgeist at the moment but leaders of organizations are going to have to demonstrate more social purpose and conscious you know talk about conscious um leadership or conscious capitalism you know there's going to have to be um yeah i think we're society is moving in that way you know we're becoming much more aware of our impact on the environment on health 
uh, on you know, doing right, um, etc. So I think that's going to become more important. But I also think it's a clear sign that you know he, he's a clever guy. Um, you know, he's a very clever guy, um, and there's no way that he won't have been. You know, he can't have been impressed by sort of the you know what we now know about how we motivate people. Um, and having purpose is is a significant part of that. And, and I'll plug Dan's book again because he makes a big you know a big deal about it. And and actually, there's lots of evidence there that when people feel they've got purpose, it makes a massive difference. Um, you know, he he uses the, the the he uses an example of a call center raising money for a charity, for example. You know they're doing something good and, and purposeful, but uh, and they're sort of you know if you like day in day out they're delivering they're making so many calls but it's quite a thankless task. But you kind of perhaps logically think that well because there's purpose by behind why you make those calls that you'll be successful. So they trialed this and they brought they took a, a control group and put them in a room and told you know and sort of reminded them of the great work that they were doing or their money raised um, and that had no impact and then they took another group and they actually brought someone in whose life was affected by the money being raised and that made I think and I, I could be wrong on this but my I think that made a 400% increase in um, results and that's because they connected with them on a personal you know human level and I think what we're going to see more of is you know, if you're working in a bank right now and I was a leader, yes, I'd be worried about being agile. Yes, I'd be worried about diversity. Yes, I'd be worried about retention, etc. But I think the first thing I would do is I would take some of my you know, teams out to meet the customers that they serve. You know, go and, go and sit in their organization, whether it's for an hour or a week, and really understand how they impact because they come back, you know, full of ideas, full of, and, and, you know, Dan's book illustrates that in many different sectors, in many different ways. And, and there's no denying um, that there's that science that says, yeah, once you've got purpose, you get discretionary effort and that's where you make profit. What a powerful way to wrap up. Thank you so much, James. Would you mind letting the listeners know how they can reach you sort of, you know, whether it be online, Twitter, websites, etc. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so my email address is james at hooper-reese.com. Um, Twitter, I can't remember. LinkedIn, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, James Reese, um, and I'm probably listed on the London Business School as being executive coach. So um, yeah, or or come to perhaps come to you and, and you can feed them on to me if they want to get in touch. No, no worries at all. I'll make sure all your details are on the, the bottom of the show notes. So no worries. It'll be easy for people to reach you, James. So look, thank you so much for your time this morning. Much appreciated. Thank you, Gary. Much appreciated as well. Keep in touch. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Hi there. Just Gary Turner wrapping up this awesome podcast with James Reese, who's an executive coach. I found it really interesting that James spoke about with regards to his previous exporting exploits, that if you think you are stronger than the other guy, you're probably going to lose. Now, for me, there's something about this uh, messaging that translates to the world of work as well, in that as we become increasingly networked, 
as work becomes increasingly transparent due to technology, which it is, we can see that everywhere. You know, I truly believe we're going towards an era which is all about all about collaboration versus competition. And I think this is a mindset that we need to get out of with with regards to business that you know we can all thrive together uh, we just need to be much smarter and much more de deliberate and intentional about how we do that wonder what your thoughts are to that that's certainly how i see things going i think it's also interesting to hear about james stating you need to be world class at something while identifying your weaknesses in other areas so you know you can be very good at multiple things but you need to be world class at something uh, to truly make a difference as we go forward and i like the fact that this plays into building intentionally diverse teams from different backgrounds different origins different races etc you know we get away from all of these isms that have been developed and learned over the years and to really start looking at what are the unique um, strengths that people have and building teams around that i also enjoyed hearing james talk about the fact that he feels he's signed up to a career where he will never know everything he will never have answers to anything and he doesn't fix people and i think that's really really powerful so yeah, you're stepping into this space where you're not going in at all to fix people or to have all of the knowledge. You're there literally to coach people to their own solutions. And whilst, yeah, most of us know that that's what coaching's about, I just found that a really nice summary as to as, as to what coaching means to James. And then finally, you know, we can't avoid this wonderful, wonderful sentiment from from James that the thing that inspires him the most is his children. And he gave that wonderful story as well about someone that's clearly high profile that he coaches and the reaction that he got from his daughter. You know, he's never had that reaction, no matter how, how much money you make, you're never going to get that reaction uh, with the same feeling and emotion that you get from, from your family. And I think there's something in that as well around the future of work. You know, the more human we become, hopefully we'll celebrate our uniqueness. We'll celebrate what we bring to one another as human beings and get away from this myopic focus that we've learned about over the last 50 years that it's all about extrinsic items. Um, I think it's increasingly clear, you know, talk about Dan Pink's work in Drive or, or, or any, anywhere else, our own personal experiences, the things that make us happiest, the things that drive us, the things that make us fulfilled, are the things that come inside out in our lives. It's not about what, what impacts us outside in. So on that note, look forward to any feedback you may wish to offer and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. All the very best for now. Cheers. Thank you.